Welcome back to Off The Script, and this episode we are going to be interviewing Michael Cardinal from Therapix. We're going to be talking about what a digital health tool is, how they can improve care for patients and make our practice more efficient, as well as how we can integrate them into pharmaceutical care. And beyond that, we're going to be talking about how pharmacy practice can be made more efficient in general with the help of digital health tools, but as well as other tools that we already have in our kit as pharmacists. All right. Welcome, everyone, back to Off the Script. This is going to be our first interview that we actually are not doing in person. And um, unsurprisingly, we've had a couple hiccups, but we've we've got everything up and running now. And we're excited to introduce a very special guest today. Doctor in Pharmacy, Michael, is recognized as a pharmacist committed to improving the care provided to the population and the renewal of practices. On the On that matter, He has been awarded prizes and distinctions by the Canadian Pharmacists Association and the Faculty of Pharmacy of the University of Montreal. The faculty also recently appointed him among its 100 centennial ambassadors. He quickly accumulated many experiences in pharmacy, working in more than 35 community pharmacies and as a consultant for key players in the pharmacy field. For more than two years now, Michael has been a speaker in digital health and in charge of clinical operations at Therapex, a company that specializes in the analysis of digital health tools by a team of multidisciplinary health professionals. Thanks so much, Chris, for that great introduction. And welcome, Michael, again. I just wanted to ask, because our, our listeners have this nice introduction in front of them. Michael, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Who are you and, and what is Therapex, uh, the, the company that you work at? Thank you so much, guys, for this uh, warm introduction. I always feel a, a little shy when I hear, uh, hear this kind of presentation because, uh, of course, uh, it's not been so long that I've graduated from pharmacy school. Actually, it's been uh, three years, three uh, very good and busy years. Uh, but I've graduated pharmacy school in 2017 in the University of Montreal, the PharmD. And uh, so so basically at the start of my pharmacy journey, I've I've talked about technology and I've been inspired by a few guys here in Quebec, which have done uh, amazing works in technology, such as uh, Alexandre Chagnon, which is actually now my uh, partner at Therapix, and also uh, other folks in, in Quebec, which we're trying to say, hey guys, let's let's try and, and reinvent our practice, right? I feel like pharmacy, we need to do that. And, and I found a few ways to do that in, in, in my journey as a, a first of all, the, the president of my student council. I, I've done a, a few uh, conferences and, and speeches and events on digital health. And once I graduated, I knew I wanted to end up doing a career in that. So I started first doing some consulting to, for some pharmacies. I also did some uh, speeches, as uh, you've mentioned. So I've been a, a speaker for in digital health for Diabetes Canada for a few pharmacy chains. And I really want to make sure that we can, you know, educate pharmacists and can make sure that pharmacists understand what is digital, because I feel like it, it's the way we're going to be able to reinvent ourselves in the future. So, yeah, that's why I'm with Therapix. So Therapix is a company that's uh, specialized in the digital health tools. Uh, those are the things, the gadget that people use for their health. So health and wellness apps uh, and a new wave of digital therapeutics. So everything that's on the phone that can help you in regards to your own health is considered a digital health tool. And this is what we evaluate. We evaluate them in order to provide 
data to pharmacists to better comprehend them and make sure that they can use them in their own practice. Yeah, so that's about it. So I guess what are some popular what are some popular digital health tools that already exist? Some some of the ones I guess you've already been looking at with Therapex. Yeah, so great question because it's always confusing on, on what what's out there in the space. So uh, basically, uh, we're mostly specialized in, in health apps. So uh, examples are, are the medication adherence trackers. Um, you know, the patients need help when it comes to medication adherence. And I feel like we, we in pharmacy, we don't always have the time to do as much as we'd like to do when it comes to, to medication adherence. So uh, we evaluate some apps that help patients integrate uh, healthy habits when it comes to, to medication management. Uh, some other tools are, are in mental health, uh, especially with COVID right now. There's a lot of needs from the population to, to support themselves uh, have a better uh, a better self-management of mental health issues such as anxiety, stress, and insomnia. So there are a lot of tools out there that can help patients, you know, understand uh, uh, stress better and manage it. So we're talking there about apps and, and wearables. And also other examples include everything that's related to fitness. So uh, we, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, these Fitbits and these uh, uh, Apple Watches. So what are they? What are they useful for? And and are they really reliable? Should they be used in in, in clinical care? That's the questions we we answer. And that's that's great. And I'm I'm glad to see that Therapix is involved in in this space because I feel like it's something that's underlooked um, and something that requires maybe a pharmacist lens. Again, I want to reiterate from what Faison said. It's awesome to have a pharmacist put their voice out for their perspective in making a good digital health tool library or formulary, like you're saying, because as, as we see patients every single day and we're talking to them and more again, like one of the more accessible healthcare professionals, I think we're in a great place to recommend these digital health tools to patients as well. I remember attending one of your speeches or talks in September, and you had talked about some research you had done to create this app formulary. Could you like expand a bit on exactly what you guys look at, like what like metrics you look at, what makes what makes one digital health tool better than another? Great question. So there are tons of assessments out there. Actually, this this old question of how to evaluate health apps has been studied and has been mentioned in more than seven thousand papers out there that we've looked at in in PubMed. Uh, and when it comes to health app assessment, it, it, it comes to a lot of things. First, usability. So uh, is, is the app really usable for a patient? Is it convenient? Is it user-friendly? Is the design okay for most patients? It comes down also to uh, privacy and security. So we really want to make sure to highlight, and this is a big consideration when we talk to healthcare providers, right? You, you don't want to expose your patients to additional risks in terms of security. Uh, but there's always risks, right, when it comes to digital. When it comes to digital, we talk about data. Uh, when we talk about data, we talk about servers. So there's no way, no risk. So we got to highlight which digital health tools uh, have sufficient quality in terms of privacy standards and security standards to make sure that we can recommend them and, and, and with knowledge, right? Uh, other uh, quality criteria are very important, but the most important ones are the ones that comes to the patient needs. So basically, you have right now in Canada 170,000 health apps. 
Most of them have not been updated in the last 18 months. Others are of low quality and some are of good quality and they're the one that we can recommend. But once you know that a tool has good quality, what makes it really relevant to a patient is what we look at, right? So we look at clinical criteria and we look at what we call behavior change criteria. So will this tool really be sufficient enough for a patient to engage with it and make sure there's a behavior that has changed in regards to their health. Uh, when when we, when we talk about behavior, we talk about the diabetic patient that wants to maybe better manage their diabetes uh, with something else than drugs and, and try to have these habits of, of you know, nutrition counseling and, and, and fitness counseling that are integrated in an app in order for him to or her to be able to really change their daily habits, right? And this is a complex science and a science that we look at in each of these apps. All the stuff that you're talking about, again, the fact that there's so many apps out there, the fact that there's good quality and there's bad quality, the fact that there's a consumer at the end of that app where they might be using that app to change their behaviors and, and impact their health. Um, it's, it's kind of like how I look at YouTube versus television, right? Because television is a very controlled environment. You put a kid in front of the TV, you know exactly what shows are going to be on it. You know exactly what, what each channel is. But when you put your child in front of YouTube, it's like an unlimited access and you don't know the good quality from the bad quality. You don't know what, what media that they're going to be consuming, right? And so when I look at the world of apps, anyone can make an app so long as they know how to write code. And the end consumer is at risk of having some sort of potential detriment to their health because of a poorly designed app, or they could benefit off of it because that app is good. So I think the role that you're playing with your company is something that's much needed in the landscape of healthcare when we're integrating a lot more digital apps, digital tools into our daily lives. I mean, everyone's got everyone's got a phone in their pocket. People have smartwatches now, and all of these things carry apps. So uh, I'm glad you're talking about it. I'm glad that you're involved in this space because I think it is important. Thank you so much. It's it's very uh, inspiring what you're saying, uh, and I totally agree. I mean, it, it's uh, the app store and the play stores are, are minefields, right? When it comes to to health app counseling and health app usage, and actually, guy, people at home maybe don't know, but there are 32 percent in of Canadians that use the health app on a regular basis in in 2017, and and that's a trend that with the pandemic has has been increased. Uh, you look at the Google trends for researchers for research, sorry, on health apps, and you see increases of 3000% for fitness at home apps or, or nutrition apps uh, in, when it comes to integrating uh, healthy habits. And mental health uh, apps have seen 400% adoption rates of higher adoption rates uh, as of now with the pandemic. So it, it, it shows how big of a role they can play and you've mentioned accessibility and that's why they're so used right they're so accessible so it's it's basically for a patient it's it's more easy to seek advice from an health app than a pharmacist uh, imagine not the physicians right which uh, which are way less accessible than us so uh yeah that definitely it's 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 uh, those are products that are to be used in the right way in order to find value in the healthcare system. And, and that switch between a quality and a good app directly in the app store, and then transferring that into value for a patient, that's what is even more complex, right? Because you can know what a good app is, 
but is it the good one for a patient that's in front of you? That's another question, right? So uh, that's a question that when we do the assessments, we, we try and identify and, and make sure that we can advise other healthcare providers on the app that will, that will eventually bring value to a specific patients based on its needs. I think you, you've mentioned a lot about how a lot of patients are taking in more of these apps or maybe even just, you know, regular people that might not be considered patients, but just the everyday person is using more and more digital health apps, whether it be fitness or to track your diet or whatever it might be. Um, I want to I wanna talk about how the uptake of these digital health tools are with pharmacists or with healthcare professionals and um, whether there has been any like pushback from the community pharmacies that you went to about implementing these digital health tools in practice. Definitely a, a great question. So, yeah, definitely there are some uh, some some questions around you know privacy. It's often the the one that's the biggest I feel. Uh, so so it's really important when it comes to using digital health in any kind of practice, whether it's pharmacy, or other healthcare professionals, that we uh, are used to asking for patient consent. I feel like in pharmacy, it's sometimes something that is uh, lacking. We lack the procedures or, or the, the way to make sure that the patients can, you know, uh, take decisions regarding the, the tools that we use. When it comes to digital health, it's, it's really important to have patient consent and to make sure that we can highlight the patients, which, which you know, can benefit of these tools and that want to use these tools and share their data with their pharmacists with a PDF uh, uh, sent to him or, or by email, right? So this is one of the main uh, consideration we've seen in, in practice. The other consideration, and that's uh, a lot of times raised by uh, the healthcare providers we collaborate with, such as pharmacists, is the fact that, uh, you know, we work with seniors, right? So uh, the question is always, do seniors have sufficient uh, what we call digital health literacy? Uh, big words to say, can, can my patient in front of me really... Uh, be able to use an health app and, and make sure that they engage with it on a regular basis. Uh, one comment I can say on that first things first is that uh, you probably didn't know, but 50% of seniors have a smartphone as of now. So you have a one on two chance. And the second thing is that actually health apps are kind of the seniors are kind of the target of a lot of health apps. When it comes to user-friendly design, uh, we can make sure that we highlight this in the review process to make sure that we can know if an, an app is, is okay to use by a, a, a senior in this case. So these are the two main questions I'd say that uh, really come uh, to, to my mind when it comes to integrating health apps in the, in the daily practice of healthcare providers. Yeah, and that's great. I'm glad that uh, you know, you're, you're seeing the demographics behind who the user base is. And, and I mean, I, I think naturally when it comes to changes, um, there's always a bit of pushback against it when it comes to uptake and integration of, of these health applications. Uh, do you ever come across people who just want to stick with the status quo or do you find that the trend now is heavily moving towards using more apps as part of your digital health, uh, and your overall health in general? Yeah, so, so this, by the way, this is a great question. Uh, well, actually, what you're mentioning is, is really interesting because it brings two perspectives, right? It brings the perspective of the patients and it brings the perspective of the healthcare providers. I feel like there are a few things why, as pharmacists, we, uh, we are scared of technology. 
And, and I think the first thing is that there is a lack of reliable data on technology to make sure that we can, you know, highlight the technologies that will be successful uh, and integrated in our practice. And that will really make a change in our practice, right? Because yes, we can think about the patient perspective, which I'll speak about in a few seconds, but after all, if, if a digital health tool doesn't help you in making sure that you drive better uh, patient care, you probably won't integrate it into your practice, right? So um, that's the very first important aspect. So the, the provider perspective is often the fact that there's no data that, that out there that tells you which tools can be used in the daily practice. And also it's really hard to make sure that you highlight the needs of the patients that are in front of you with tools. I'll give you one concrete example. I've mentioned health apps. We all talk about how each and every provinces in Canada, almost everyone can follow diabetic patients, uh, patients living with diabetes and, and adjust medication doses or do med checks around, you know, diabetes drugs. If you want to do that more efficiently, you can add the first reflex, which is, okay, I'll look into the health apps that are out there and ask my patient to use it on a regular basis and see if they have, you know, uh, if they control their diabetes and manage their diabetes well, right? When it comes to having your patient in front of you, you're going to ask him, do you have an iPhone? Do you have an Android? And then do you already have a blood glucose monitor or should I, you know, sell you another one? And then there are going to be a lot of questions around this. So how can we successfully integrate that into, their pra- into our practice? The recommendation of apps is a question that, that's, you know, that needs to be answered because you know, as pharmacists, we don't have the time to do that. And then you have the patient perspective, which is totally the opposite. Basically, patients try to self-manage. They try to seek for tools that are digital and that can help them manage their diabetes. And they do that without proper advice, right? From their pharmacists. So how can we make sure that patients and pharmacists talk to each other? This is what is the main mission that's around the digital tool that we wanna you know, uh, make sure that we can uh, complete. Because patients, as you mentioned, are buying gadgets, are buying wearables. So as pharmacists, we need to find ways to make sure that this healthcare data that's out there is used for proper patient care. Um, there's one big trend uh, in the digital health world is the fact that five years ago, there was 50 times less healthcare data that were on servers than as of now. So as a pharmacist, do not make sure that you use that data in your practice to make sure that you better help and support your patients and drive more patient-centric care is, is something that I, I'm, I'm raising my eyebrows right now to, to understand why we don't seek that opportunity, right? Um, because people don't have the time or they don't have the, the commitment to do so. Or maybe people don't even see the value in doing it. I think one of the things um, that... I keep coming back to is a conference that I went to where they spoke about uh, the like the impact of digital healthcare for the pharmacy world and about automation, right? Because um, we, we're talking about digital health tools and I know it's a little bit off track, but I feel like pharmacists in general are scared of technology and the fact that their jobs can be replaced. 
And so when any time you bring in like these apps, right? The the first question is, will this app replace my counseling? Right? Like, will it start doing the jobs that I'm supposed to be doing instead? Um, instead of me talking to my patient, is it going to be some pharmacist sitting at home that has never seen my patient before? It doesn't know what all the medications that they're on. And it's just about like that threat of being replaced, I think. Um, I don't know. Can, can you speak to that, Michael, about like that, you know, that sort of dissonance of technology is great for the patients, but pharmacists feel like it's not the best thing for their careers. Yeah, I totally understand that. And, and it's great that you put that up, Faison, because before talking about technology, I think that we need to talk about pharmacy and how we interact with our patients and what is going to be our role in the future. So, yes, definitely. You, you've mentioned, I think, something that's uh, probably the, the elephant in the room, right? Uh, technology, We when it comes to technology, the first thing we think about is, is probably Amazon, right? And online distribution of drugs, which is probably going to, you know, affect the commercial model of the pharmacy, right? So I, I, I totally agree with you. And the answer I have to say to that is, is pretty bold and simple is there is no way for us to survive as a group and as a, a, an industry if we're not where the patient is at. Currently, there's a big trend in the fact that, well, two, actually two big trends that, that support what I'm saying. The first is that there's no more a clear cut between the roles of, of each healthcare providers. The reason being is that technology favors accessibility of each and every healthcare provider. So patients can, you know, call a doctor virtually, call a nurse virtually, call a psychologist virtually, in three, four seconds, right? So what it brings is a second trend, is the fact that patients are more and more empowered in their journey. Reason I'm mentioning all this is the fact that I feel like as a profession, pharmacy has to be where the patient is at, and that's using technology. So when pharmacists say that technology will replace us, I feel like it will if we don't use it, but it won't if we use it. It seems like a pretty simple statement, but it, 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 after that, it comes down to making sure, like I've mentioned, to be where the patient is at. So basically in their phones. I feel like the future of pharmacy is if we succeed to bring online patients in our pharmacies for human interventions that are higher touch than distribution. So chronic care management and counseling, health and wellness counseling. And of course it drives more questions and we could elaborate on these today. I feel like it's uh, getting hot in here. The topic is 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 really nice. Uh, it, it comes down to certain perspectives in terms of the commercial models of this, but eventually I feel like our role will transition as technology will, will make sure that we automate distribution as technology will make sure that we uh, can be where the patient is at, our role will be able to transition towards more chronic care management services. I think that's a good goal to have, to be honest. Um, one of the things that, uh, not in not in this episode, we won't, we won't touch on it because it's a very lengthy th- topic, but I'm sure if you check out one of our other episodes, not sure if it's going to be out yet by the time this episode is released, but it's on the fact that pharmacy as a profession 
have to move towards service-based funding rather than medication funding um, because medication distribution is not going to keep the profession alive and it's going to be services that are going to keep the profession alive. And I think one of the things that you're talking about here is, is providing that service of being there for the patient. I mean, even in this pandemic, people don't want to go out, right? Like forget even going to the doctor's office. People don't want to go to the pharmacy. There's more and more deliveries that are happening. Um, and so how do you still reach your patients? Um, and you see some pharmacies that are starting to do like phone calls and to do medication reviews over the phone. But essentially what you're moving towards is more of a virtual based session with the patient. And to enable that is hopefully at some point through some sort of secure uh, encrypted app where you can maintain that patient's privacy at the same time. Um, but, you know, that's a topic for another day. I, wanna, I don't want to dive deep into this rabbit hole. Um, but I appreciate your perspective, Michael. I think it's important to to note that and to say that we it's not about adaptation, I don't think either. It's just keeping up with the times. Um, it's not something revolutionary. It's something that all of us do every day. If you have a smartphone, if you have some sort of wearable, you're part of this landscape already. Yeah. Faison, you've mentioned uh, virtual uh, care and talking to patients. Uh, it actually, uh, we, we talk a lot of times about telepharmacy. Uh, speaking by the phone to a patient is some kind of telepharmacy. You've mentioned apps that are encrypted. There are tons of apps out there. It's 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 nowhere. It's no near a, a eye hand technology to have a teleconsulting platforms in 2020. Um, so so the reason why we don't use them is is actually a, a mystery to me because the the availability of technology is 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 there. So. Yeah, you're totally right. We, we got to get along and, and, and be in our ages, right? Uh, I, I feel like this, and this is a pretty big statement too, but I feel like this comes with a, a cultural shift in terms of how we operate our pharmacies and how we build our, our, our distribution models to make sure that we can integrate these technologies. But yes, definitely, it's, a, it's not a question of the availability of technology. It's really more a question of if this will be aligned with the business model of the pharmacy, if this will be aligned with how we drive patient care, and if this will uh, be in line with uh, cost-effective services in pharmacy. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's hard to make any changes without without the money following along. Yeah, so you know, pharmacy is is actually a business after all. So so I feel like uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, of things that are good with that. Sometimes things that are bad too. Uh, but but in the end of the day, at the end of the day, I mean, there's there's there are great examples of, of how we can equilibrate that, uh, being, you know, healthcare providers that are more outside of the healthcare system in Canada, but still making sure that we provide, uh, you know, value for our healthcare system in a privately held way. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't see this as something that we need to, um, the pharmacy will remain a business. So this is something that's really important. I feel like sometimes we, we, we don't like that. We don't like being a business. We, we say it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why patients maybe sometimes are, are critical of us because they're saying like, is there some kind of commercial thing behind the patient care that you want to give me? I don't feel like patients ask these questions a lot. I, I feel like it's just us as a profession that, that don't want to sell ourselves. We, we, 
Like how often as a pharmacist, do you go see a patient to sell him a, a service, to sell him a med check, to sell him a vaccination schedule, to tell him about a service that you have? I feel like sometimes we are scared of doing this because we feel like patients will, will look at us and say, okay, what's the, what's the thing behind this? Uh, you just want to make money with my, 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 my service and things. Well, yeah, but you'll get your service and it's going to be paid by your private insurance or your government plan. So what's the problem with that? Right. So I feel like we got to appreciate the fact that yes, we are a business, but it's nowhere. It's no, uh, it's not something that I think is, is, uh, is bad actually. Yeah. I think, I think a big part of the fact that patients might have that perception is because we're not as removed as a profession versus like say a dentist or a doctor's office where you have this receptionist that does the billing for you. It, it could be us doing the billing, right? We're right beside the cash. We're right. We're, we're there at the computer billing the insurance. So, and we do the transaction right in front of them. So sometimes that maybe that connection is more, is more apparent between the pharmacy professional and paying for said service. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And of course, honestly, what I really believe is that the governments should pay for these services. Uh, I feel like we have uh, more and more data out there that the pharmacy services are cost effective uh, and, and that the pharmacists can play a role. Honestly, it's <laughs> we are the most underused healthcare provider uh, in, in, in the space. Uh, there are so many public health opportunities using the pharmacy services that should be covered by the provincial governments. Uh, I feel like it's a game of, uh, of politics more than uh, what we can provide, right? And, and I feel like this political game often makes us feel like we don't have control over our, our journey, over our future. But what I'd say to this is that, yes, it's a political game. Yes, it's a commercial game. And yes, we got to embrace it. Because if we don't, if we don't provide the patient care that we're asked to, or uh, that we we that the government has, has told us that we can do, uh, then we're going to fail. Um, the example with this is uh, currently in Quebec, we've we've uh, received the rights to uh, manage medication of patients a few years ago. There is actually right now a very low adoption rate of these services that are covered. Yes, patients need to pay a small fee out of it. So they need to pay, uh, uh, 20, let's say, 20% on average. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons that pharmacists don't adopt these services. But I'd say to that and to the general pharmacy, and my opinion is that we should probably adopt these services and embrace these services more because as a politician, if I give you the right to bring better patient care to my patient population and you don't do it, it sends, it sends me a, a very mixed message. Um, of course, I, I feel like we, we need these services to be covered at 100% to really uh, have them integrated into our workflows. But the 20%, is, is it enough for us to, to show politicians that we can do more? I don't believe so. So, um, yeah, I feel like we need, uh, we need to, to, uh, to, to make sure that we use the powers that we're given. 
I think we see the same in Ontario as well. When we have certain services like the meds check or even the meds check follow up might be a better example. The uptake on those services is is pretty poor, to say the least. And I think something that is constant, whether you're practicing in Ontario, Quebec, wherever it might be across uh, Canada, one common complaint that we hear is that you just don't have enough time. So I guess a like a, a question just popped into my head, which was, do you think in order to see increased uptake of said services or increased uptake of digital health tools, for example, we just need to make this transition to a automatic dispensing service where the pharmacist is just not as hands-on with the dispensing process and that is mostly automated because that would certainly free up a lot of time for the pharmacist to provide cognitive services. I totally agree, Chris. Uh, so so honestly, I think it's a question of survival. Uh, <laughs> two things around this. Um, you've mentioned making sure that we, we save time for more services. Um, yes, of course, definitely. I feel like pharmacy will be able to change its culture and make it and embrace this cultural shift I mentioned about. Once, you know, more than five, 10% of their revenues will be from, you know, chronic care management and clinical practice, right? So we, we need to say to, to, you know, have more efficiency in the distribution of pharmacies to uh, of drugs to make sure that we can you know bring more time into a practice to make sure that we can do these services and deliver these services more and the other aspect why we need to do this is that generally private payers and public payers uh, don't see the the value of distribution as it is paid right now um, there are a lot of pressures from uh, the, the, you know, governmental plans and the private plans to, to, you know, there are a lot of pressures from the provincial and private plans to make sure that pharmacists are paid less and that the margins around distribution are, are a little less. Uh, I think that we're going to need to negotiate fees to compensate that around, you know, chronic care management services. Uh, but, but in the end of the day, um, as technology allows for more efficient distribution, the payers on the other end are saying, well, if it's more efficient, why do I still pay $20 for you to, to distribute one specific medication, right? So um, what the reason why I mentioned it's a question of survival is the fact that I don't see a model around distribution that is really sustainable in the long term. Uh, you're, you're totally right. In my opinion, Chris, uh, we, we need to make sure that we streamline distribution in order to have, you know, higher margins uh, of, of distribution, but lower revenues and, and translate that into more chronic care. In line with talking about lack of time for services or lack of time for dispensing plus services, I think digital health tools is a wonderful solution in that it can actually help with the efficiency of our practice, right? Whether it be um, doing assessments a little bit faster or providing additional services a little bit faster. Where do you see digital health tools in in um, in helping with the efficiency of our practice? Yeah, so, so first things first, it's really monitoring. So uh, I've mentioned digital health. Digital health is data. Data is actionable insights for more patient-centric decisions. 
So this is really the monitoring part. So, so the fact of patients to be able to track their disease states and their, their, uh, their, their mood, uh, their, their, you know, they, we often pharmacists, eventually I see pharmacists play a role in the mental health follow-up of drugs. We, we prescribe drugs uh, for depression to a lot of patients out there without proper follow-up because the physician doesn't have time to do patient follow-up for PHQ-9s, which are standardized assessments for, for depression and mood. But there are tons of tools out there and digital health tools that can help patients answer a PHQ-9 in around two minutes. These are self uh, questionnaires, self-assessment questionnaires, which have been validated, which are very efficient for us as pharmacists to follow and see if the, the drug is, is doing its job, right? So I see the pharmacist role play, uh, be very important in the follow-up of patients uh, around a drug and medication uh, adjustment. So this is one really concrete examples. Other examples are for examples, migraine. Uh, in Quebec, we can adjust medications for migraine patients. And digital tools out there really help uh, the monitoring of the conditions. Diabetes, hypertension are other very important use cases in which connected devices, digital tools like apps play a very important role. And in this come back to, to what I was mentioning earlier, the way we integrate that is by giving the patients the power on which tools they decide. This is my vision. Um, I feel like patients already use apps. It's just us to ask them, what app are you using? And hey, can you send me that PDF report of your diabetic blood glucose? Because I need that for my medication adjustment. As simple as this. You don't need to take a paper and be five minutes in a consultancy room to write down the blood glucose. No, have your technician call in the patient to send the PDF report to uh, email and then have a quick five minutes inside of a counseling room with your patient to adjust his medication. And you have done a great role for society, which has been really simple and low friction. What's stopping people? I don't get it. Like I'm, 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 I'm thinking in my head right now, I'm like thinking of this pharmacy. That's like this new age pharmacy and you have, you know, the assistants working at the front. You have the pharmacist in their office or their counseling room removed away. You've got someone else working just to verify medication. So they're part of the distribution cycle, right? And you have that clinical pharmacist only doing services for the client, right? Um, like you said, they have their apps. They have their apps available. Um, you could even have, uh, like, I'm really going down the rabbit hole about you can have one app here's your medication, here's what you take it for, right? Um, you you send a message to your pharmacist at your local pharmacy and say, hey, I just started taking this antidepressant medication. Um, it's been about two weeks now and I'm feeling these side effects. And then the pharmacist says, okay, let me do a video call with you and do some counseling. Oh, look, I can bill that as a follow-up uh, because I did a medication review with you and now I can bill that as a follow-up to the government. Like I, I see this design happening, but... What's stopping us? Like, what's is it? Is it the patient? Is it the pharmacist? Is it the concept? Are people just not there yet to accept this way of thinking and this way of engaging with healthcare professionals? I, I think all the last thing you've mentioned are really true. Um, 
when, when we look at the conversation we're having right now, it all makes sense. But after all, we're all humans, right? So we need to embrace change. We need to to be educated around this. We need to uh, to to make sure that the workflows are changing. After all, we're pretty busy in pharmacy. I mean, look at what we've done for the COVID pandemic. I mean, we've been highly accessible. Uh, we've we've advised our patient on COVID more than anything else. Uh, we've been bombarded by drug renewals uh, during the March period. I mean, <laughs> so 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 I, I feel like what you've mentioned at the last part in terms of like. Yes, it makes sense, but we got to be ready to transition and, and we got to open our minds towards this and, and, and have more education around this topic. I feel it's really where we're lacking a little bit of, of, of time uh, and, and that we need to accelerate our transition to, right? So we need to, to, uh, to, to seek out for more, uh, well, the faculty of pharmacy should have more uh, education to far young pharmacists on digital health. Um, we need pharmacy chains to invest massively in changing the workflows in, in changing how the, the, the lab laboratories and the, the pharmacies are designed. Uh, we need to make sure that the pharmacy owners, whether independent or managers, um, have leadership in, in making sure their, their pharmacists know uh, about these services and that they can, you know, identify which patients can benefit from them. And we need to, and, and this is one big, big, big key answer of the future of pharmacy, we need to delegate. I, I'm going to ask you a question, guys. Like, as pharmacists that are graduating a PharmD, how complete do you feel and how, like, empowered do you feel of distribution of distributing drugs seven hours a day on eight hours. Chris, you want to go first? Like, do I feel comfortable doing it or how do you mean? How much do you value this work compared to what you can do for a patient based on your expertise and based on what you've learned during a four-year pretty intense PharmD in which you've probably studied most of the time of your life. I think uh, I actually had this realization in the middle of the COVID pandemic when I was working this summer. So as you mentioned, we were bombarded by constant refills throughout March and maybe all the way up until I'd say July, where it was just busy, 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 hectic. Scripts were two, three times the usual amount. And I had this like mid-COVID crisis where I just looked at myself and was thinking, I can't believe I just spent nine hours. It was actually nine hours of my eight hour shift, nine hours dispensing, not doing anything else, just checking, putting on labels, counting, and just, just so far removed from doing anything that I would consider clinical and helping the patient. And it was really sad. It's definitely not empowering at all for me as a pharmacy professional. And luckily that isn't the practice environment I'm usually in, but I do understand that there are some pharmacies where outside of the pandemic, that's just their regular day to day. And I can't, ju I just can't imagine practicing like that. Yeah, totally. And, and okay. So next question I'm going to ask you or, or Faison, how comfortable are you to delegate the verification of medication to pharmacy technicians that were properly trained. 
Uh, I'm completely comfortable with doing it. So 100%. 100%. Do you feel like this opinion is the one of the vast majority of young pharmacists and probably most pharmacists? I don't, I feel like it's changing. I feel like, um, I, I mean, the, the beauty, okay, so I think the issue is we don't get enough exposure to pharmacy technicians. And so a lot of people don't realize what the capability of a pharmacy technician really is. The fact that they can do like tech, check, tech, or the fact that you can remove the pharmacist out of the dispensary. Um, like I was saying, like remote verification or verifying out of their office. Um, I have the I have the privilege of working in a hospital alongside a team of technicians that are able to do so much of the operational stuff as well as part of the dispensary that I truly do now value what a technician does. And the issue I think that also comes from it is that technicians are not adequately compensated in the community versus in other healthcare settings like hospitals. And so like I've I've seen technicians work at stores as an assistant only because the owner was not willing them to pay a technician's wage. So essentially their scope of practice was being limited because of compensation where they could have just been another um another addition to the team that would have improved the workflow completely. Yeah, you're totally right, but I I also feel on the other end that you know compensation comes with responsibilities. So if we give technicians more responsibilities there there's going to be probably a, a higher uh, interest of pharmacy chains and owners to to compensate technicians accordingly uh, honestly by the way i do agree with you uh, technicians are probably the most undervalued professionals around the pharmaceutical industry uh, but i also feel like uh this will change uh, when we'll give more responsibilities responsibilities to them. So uh, it, it's it's the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I feel like uh, I, I've mentioned cultural shift. This is one big part. I feel like we need to delegate uh, to to them uh, the, the, these kind of services. We've mentioned automation of the the, the dispensing part of drugs. Uh, before even automating distribution, I feel like we could just delegate it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I guess the other thing is when you're looking at long, so it's like how people think, I think, right? Like behaviorally, like a lot of people I feel think short term and versus long term. Right. Because the benefits that you would get out of optimizing a workflow where we're removing a pharmacist out of the dispensary portion and moving them into a consulting follow ups with their patients, following them over a period of time is something where you're retaining an individual to that pharmacy by providing them exceptional care. And then they would be the ones who then advocate for other people to come to your pharmacy because of the care you provide. Right. So it's like a long term benefit that you really have to invest into into the beginning. But because of the pressures of the of the industry and the current economy, people are more short-sighted in the fact that they don't have the resources or the time to invest now. What they want to do is to cut costs and have as low overhead as possible while raising profits at the same time. So while that idea sounds great, I feel like for a lot of people, I don't know if this is true or not, they just don't think it's practical for you to for you to progress this way. Um, but I, I truly believe in it. I mean, I see it all the time 
when I work in the hospital, I have a dispensary shift where I'm there. But for most of my other time, I'm following my patients and they see the benefit. When I go to units, they say hi to me and they, they approach me with their concerns. Oftentimes I'm seeing them more frequently than their psychiatrist or their doctor is. And I'm the one who's, who's recommending and making medication changes more frequently than they are. So you see the benefits there. It's, I guess, that model, why can't we bring it and move it into community practice? Because patients will see the value. It's just about providing that valued service. They'll see it. They'll pay for it. They'll come to your pharmacy. They'll transfer your prescriptions if that's what you want. Um, that that's, that's kind of how I feel about the situation. So, yeah, you told something uh, uh, later on, which was it's it's a little bit or maybe all about business uh so i gotta be uh, I, i gotta be in line with what i'm saying I, i mentioned that we gotta you know embrace the business so i'm gonna say it. it's, it's all about business you're right um we we gotta make sure that uh we we streamline these processes and that we have enough revenues out the of the services that pharmacists provide but in my opinion and and it's it's maybe just me but uh Well, I don't think it's just me, but I see that there is a critical mass of revenues that can be used by pharmacy to drive this kind of service, to have one pharmacist out of the distribution uh, uh, line and, and interact with patients on a daily basis. But yes, it comes with a lot of organizations. It comes with a lot of technologies to embrace like online booking, like uh, uh, being where uh, uh, the, the, the patients are at. So, so social media uh, uh, advice to make sure that you can promote these services and have enough patients seek these services and that you have enough revenues out of these services to make sure that it's sustainable. So all of this goes together. Um, there's one thing that the dean of the Faculty of Pharmacy of Montreal said when I was in, in second year that will always remain in my mind. Shout out to Lynn Lalonde uh, in Montreal. She said, if there's a change to be occurred, there's going to be a lot of change to occur at the same time in order for that change to occur. It, it seems very simple, but it's, it's quite true. I mean, We're talking there about rearranging the pharmacy distribution model. We're talking there about making sure that payers pay for pharmacy services. We're talking there about the pharmacy culture that needs to change in order to, to make sure that we can embrace technology and make sure we streamline these services. And we're talking about patient adoption. By the way, these four P of adoption is what we see in pharma, is what we see in digital health. So policymakers, private payers and public payers, healthcare providers, and patients. It always comes down to this. So pharmacists, if they're to be successful in delivering more chronic care management services, the four Ps will need to be all aligned in order for it to work. And I feel like 2020, with the pandemic is definitely the time in which the four Ps are aligned. As of now, let's talk about policymakers. They're all trying to find ways to make sure that patients don't go to the hospital 
don't go see physicians because the healthcare system is pressured. So they're using a lot. Well, I don't know about Ontario, but right now in Quebec, uh, the Ministry of Health has, has increased the powers of pharmacists in two months. It, it took five years for Bill 41 in Quebec, which gave us the right to do chronic care management to be implemented in the province. It took around two to six months for Bill 31, which gave us the right to prescribe over-the-counter medication and enlarge our role to be rolled out. So definitely policymakers right now are looking at pharmacy as a way to make sure that uh, we can, you know, uh, engage with patients and make sure that we play a larger role. Then the payers come along with them. Of course, Quebec is a little different because we have our own... uh, public uh, drug plan, which covers 40% of the population, but 60% of our clients, which are seniors. So they pay for these services. And we're talking uh, eventually about uh, uh, covering them at a hundred percent rate. The public payers need to pay for them too. And I feel like it's the same in Ontario, right? So the, the and BC and all around Canada. Then providers, this is us. We need to play a larger role. It's not the patients that will knock at our doors and ask us for the services. Well, they do, but, you know, patients don't want to pay for them. So we got to sell them. So providers need to change, basically, and, and that's us. So I feel like we were on the, on the verge in which we need to invest. It's, it's the right time. You've mentioned uh, investing and, and trying to, to, to make sure that costs are, are rationalized and that we, we have a business model that's sustainable. Uh, yes, but there is something that happened, which is called COVID-19. Uh, I'm sure you have heard this one. Uh, and first things first. And second, there is a thing that is happening is that there's a trend in which patients are empowered which patients decide which healthcare providers they go see. Uh, they decide which healthcare services they uh, look at. And health and wellness is currently a business in which companies are investing billions to make sure that there is no need for a patient to seek advice from a pharmacist, from a physician, from any healthcare providers. They can be at home and receive the care that they need for their health and wellness needs. So all this to say, that the third P is the one that we're at, and it's the one that is called pharmacists, and we need to invest in these uh, in these changes, in my opinion. That is probably one of the most unique views I've ever seen of change. And I don't think that's something that we've ever been exposed to. I don't know, Chris, I can't speak on behalf of you, but what do you think? I'd say uh, elect elect Michael to uh, help us be the leader in pharmacy change. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, guys, thank you. (laughs) I know I'm I'm glad you talked about this stuff because it's something that people need to hear and need to realize, right? Um, I I don't want to go too much on it, but but people always want change to occur, um, but they just say it, right? They just say they want this to change, but they don't realize how many avenues how many side roads you have to go down in order to finally get all the way to the end. Um, and I think it's important to know that in something that, I mean, clearly you have a good handle and grasp on of how the system works. And I think it's something everyone should be aware of. So I, I thank you for, for our listeners on behalf of them. 
Well, well, thanks to you guys. And, and I feel what you mentioned is, is totally right. I mean, it comes with, uh, you know, making sure that uh, we understand the landscape in order to, to drive these changes in, in our pharmacies. That's definitely a must. Yeah. And as pharmacy students, which is uh, your, your main audience, I mean, like, let you be advised, read, read these press releases from the OPA and the CPHA. Uh, the ones that end up in your email box and that you don't read, uh, read them. Honestly, it's <laughs> it, it will help understand the world in which the world in which we uh, we live in, and and what makes a difference, right? Because after all, we're all humans. So when we talk about change, we talk about small things like making sure that um, uh, we we understand all these little details is what makes a difference. Read your emails, guys. There's important stuff in them. <laughs> That's the takeaway of this podcast. I think the tough part about hearing all this change that has to happen is that it is a lot. And at times it can seem like, like, well, how are we going to come together to do all of these changes? It, it's tough. So I guess it's nice that you broke it down for us, at least to see that we are on the way to change. And that right now with everything going on, the pandemic and us demonstrating our value as a profession and all the recent changes that have happened to our scope of practice that uh, our policy leaders are also seeing our potential as a, as a healthcare professional. Totally. And then it comes down to making sure that we break down things in, in small boxes, right? Too. Uh, uh, we've, uh, you've mentioned the rabbit hole. <laughs> we probably ended up in this one. Uh, sorry about this. I'm very passionate about our profession. So uh, we talk about uh, a lot of things, but yes, I mean, and it comes down to a very basic business principle in which we need to find low hanging fruits and you need to, to, I think what I want to mention is that I think like everyone in their pharmacies as of now can think of one small thing that can be digitized and that can make sure they're closer to the patient in order to bring them in their pharmacies. Uh, and it doesn't have to be all. I've mentioned about, you know, the, the things on a very macro perspective that need to change in order for us to be uh, sustainable, which were the four Ps. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of little things we can do in pharmacy, uh, such as online social media presence, uh, such as making sure you put out an online booking for your vaccinations, uh, such as making sure you use an online consultation platform to, to answer the question of your patients remotely. Uh, and, and all these things can be together or just one of them. I feel like it's like our role as, as a pharmacy profession and as, you know, businessmen in the pharmacy to identify in our pharmacies one key area of improvement and then define what are the goals to improve this and then find the tools to make sure that we can streamline a low hanging fruit process. And I've mentioned three big ones. The fourth one is, of course, the one I know a lot about, which is digital health tools and, and services uh, with health apps. But all of these are just, you know, small changes that can eventually together in the long run, in the run of like four to five years, change totally the perspectives of patients on how you interact with them and how you can make sure to be where they're at in their phones, in their homes, online, on the web, and bring them inside your pharmacy. I think to close off, because we have talked about a lot today, <laughs> we, we ask our interviewees a couple of questions just in line with the theme of our, of our season of this podcast. 
And I think you've mentioned a lot of things that pharmacists can do to optimize patient care. But apart from the digital health tools and the digitalizing of our day-to-day processes, are there any other modalities you think that pharmacists can utilize or optimize to provide optimal patient care? What about vaccination? I mean, uh, in Ontario, it's something that's big right now, I believe. Yeah. So in Ontario, we can, uh, I mean, obviously we can do the flu shots. Um, we have now, we, we have the ability to do a lot of travel vaccinations as well. Um, we can do like, uh, what is it? Oh my God. Like Twinrix and stuff like that for hepatitis A and B, um, Endrix. Uh, we can do Shingrix as well for shingles. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of things that are going on. And I know that there's a lot of travel-based clinics where the pharmacists there get medical directors from their physicians to inject. And can you guys prescribe for minor ailments? I feel like, yes. We're moving to prescri- prescribing for common ailments soon, hopefully. Okay, okay. Okay, so I'll mention vaccination. It's a big, pretty big topic and I have a, another buzz uh, sentence which you'll like around this. Okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, definitely. I feel like uh, in, in my opinion, the really sh- you've mentioned short-term uh, phase in a, a later on. Uh, short-term revenues and short-term needs for patients is around vaccination, in my opinion. Uh, it's it's pretty easy for a pharmacy to put out uh, an online booking uh, tool in their websites and, and ask patients, uh, you know, book for vaccination season that's coming uh, in a, well, that's at the time of the podcast, it's probably going to be the, the big vaccination season. So vaccination to me is something that we need to invest in. I feel like uh, a lot of pharmacists have a kind of mixed feelings around this, uh, I don't know. It's it's something that's not really pleasant, right? To put a needle inside of someone. But I'd have to say something that's really important. The reason why we like nurses is because once they give us care, they they they're giving us care, right? And what I mean by this is they they touch us. They they you have a connection with your healthcare provider. And I feel like vaccination is the way pharmacists are going to be able to be closer to their patients. I know I'm being very philosophical here, but but it's honestly, I feel like it's it's very true. Imagine as a patient going to a pharmacy, getting your medication and being offered to have a dose of, uh, I don't know, Shingrix or, or uh, um, I, I'm gonna go that <laughs> with that again. So imagine being at your pharmacy, receiving your medication and that your pharmacist spots that you need uh, a vaccination for shingles. And then you have the power to give that patient this vaccination. This patient goes inside your counseling room and then you give the shot to the patient. That patient goes home and remembers that care experience forever. There's no way that patient won't remember this in 10 years. So uh, it's really a way I feel like uh, we need to invest money in uh, because it's a way that we're going to be able to to make sure we're closer to our patients and deliver very important experiences to them. That's such a profound sentence that you say. Um, and to be honest, when I, I, I'm going to be straightforward here. When you said like vaccinations are a way to to improve our our care, I was like, that's that, like that's that's nothing, but. When I think about it and the fact that you say you compare us to nurses or you look at you look at literally almost every single other healthcare professional, except for, I guess, psychologists. But at that point, you're like pouring your heart and soul out into them. They all have some form of contact between the patient and the healthcare provider, whereas the pharmacists don't. 
And you're right that that patients remember because uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't remember if I went to multiple pharmacies to fill prescriptions, I wouldn't remember who was what. But I've had patients where I've given them a flu shot and they tell me I was here last year getting my flu shot as well. They remember that experience, right? They remember that experience a, a year later. And it's something interesting because it's a point of contact that we have every year. It's not something that's like, oh, maybe we won't see them next year or not. But yeah, adding on to Faison's story, I've definitely had like dozens, like handfuls of patients that come in and they say, oh yeah, last year I got my flu shot here. Like I got my whole family vaccinated and like we're happy to come again, like glad to have made an appointment, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, now that I think about it, because it is a very interesting statement that if you do their vaccine, they'll remember in 10 years because I had never seen it that way before. Yeah, they won't remember about your your monthly renewal, right? Nobody wants to go to a pharmacy 12 months a year, right? I mean, you go in, you, you go out, you haven't talked to the pharmacist, you haven't seen anyone besides people behind plexiglasses. It's, it's not a good experience, right? And everything is about... I'll say the digital health world uh, word, sorry. It's, it's about user experience. So patient experience in pharmacies is really uh, underused and undervalued in, in, in how we operate it. And, and yeah, vaccination is one way to increase that patient experience, I believe. And I guess to, to not, not to speak on behalf of you, Michael, but I think kind of what we're revolving around here and, and where digital health uh, tools come into place is just like your company, um, Therapix, which is filtering all of the health apps that are out there. The purpose of having these digital health tools in a robust manner that help to optimize workflow and, and make the pharmacist job more efficient is to essentially filter the interactions you get with your patients to ensure that when they are encountering a face-to-face -face interaction with the pharmacist, it's something of value and not necessarily something as mundane as just picking up your prescription. Totally right. Uh, and these, these, uh, this comment you're mentioning, uh, and by the way, Faison, you're probably a, a future pharmacy owner because you're uh, <laughs> pretty smart. Um, so the, the, this concept is, is something that uh, U.S. big pharmacy chains uh, really understand. CVS and, and, and other uh, pharmacy chains are providing what they call uh, health hubs in their pharmacy in which patients come in. There are tablets recommend health apps to patients. There is a nutritionist that is there uh, 100% of the time, nine to five, Monday to Friday, to, to give healthcare counseling around nutrition. There are health coaches there. There are nurses. So the, the pharmacy, I believe, will become eventually a, a health and wellness hub in which, you know, other healthcare providers will, will uh, maximize the use of the fact that we're a brick and mortar store. So we have a, a a location that's close to patients and that we can use that in, in our advantage and the fact that we provide these care experiences in pharmacies. And it's not only U.S. players that are uh, investing in this. Um, for commercial purposes, I won't name any names, but in Canada, a lot of uh, pharmacy chains have invested in these kinds of services, such as online therapy or telemedicine, or uh, making sure that patients come in the pharmacies 
after they've interacted with a virtual care provider that's outside of the pharmacy world. So there are a lot of investments also in Canada in that, in that matter. And this particular uh, statement that you've mentioned, Frazen, is, is one other scenario that could be really the future of pharmacy. Yeah. Wow. This has been like one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I think it's nice because we are actively learning as we listen as well. It's always, it's always nice to do an interview and then we have a list of questions in front of us and then we kind of just throw them out the window because we're like, oh, this is actually it's quite the intriguing conversation that we're going down. And I want to learn more about this instead of asking the next question. I think the other, I think the other good thing to mention as well, and just, just like in terms of our listeners that are listening as well, is that a lot of times when people talk about the future of pharmacy, it's such an, like a negative light. Um, and that like all oh, this profession is going downhill, etc. It's just so nice to have like a breath of fresh air where you can talk about the profession in a positive manner with 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 not not hope. But I mean, like this is the way that we're going to have to move because um, patients do see value in us. And it's just about us adapting to the way that they use their everyday to day technology. Um, so, yeah. So, so thank you, Michael, for, for giving us that lens into the profession and into the future of pharmacy, because I think it's something important for a lot of not only new graduates to, to look at, but even existing practitioners, um, or even future practitioners like students to see where pharmacy can end up and what role we have to play in patients' healthcare moving forward. So thank you. Well, thanks to you guys for the invitation. It has been a, a very pleasant Wednesday night. Uh, sorry about the technological uh, problems we had. It, it's, it's so odd that we're talking about technology and had a little problem with my uh, microphone there. <laughs> thanks again for providing such awesome insights into the pharmacy profession. Thank you and keep on your amazing work. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this interview between Chris, myself, and uh, Michael, who is part of Therapix, which is a uh, company that looks to filter and and ensure that the digital health tools that patients are using are responsible, accurate, and effective. If you want to learn more about their company and what they do, feel free to look at their website. It's Therapix spelled T-H-E-R-A-P-P-X dot com. And we're also going to link it in our in our description for the podcast. Uh, it's something new, it's something innovative. And there are a lot of things out there currently that you see in practice, like Amazon pill pack services, you see products for medication compliances. So take a look out there educate yourself about what's happening around you because otherwise eventually one day you'll end up being educated by someone who is not a pharmacist. Um, <laughs> Spooky. I drop. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and once again, guys, if you want to check out more of our episodes, we're going to keep releasing more interviews. We're going to have a lot more episodes talking about the future of pharmacy. Um, and we've had past seasons talking about the identity of pharmacists, which was very interesting with interviews there as well. Feel free to check us out on our website, offthescriptshow.com, or you can find us on various social media websites. If you just search Off The Script Show, you'll find us on various social media websites. Thank you so much, guys, once again for listening, and we will see you next time. Off 
Off the Script is produced by Tom Fung, Faison Baig, and Chris Tse. Quality control is done by Stephen Guan. Mixing and editing is done by Chris Tse. Off the Script is a podcast focused on education and entertainment. However, we are not a replacement for real medical advice. Please see your local healthcare professional if you have any questions about your own personal health. Thank you to Sean Singh for creating our introductory music, and thank you to Chill Hop Music for allowing us to use their music in our intermission and ending. You can find more great songs at chillhop.com/listen. slash